Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors at the church. It's my privilege to open God's word with you. Uh, There was a misprint on the bulletin. We're in Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16. And this is the one where Jesus says you should be like a slick crook so that you can purchase your friends. So... (laughs) That's just uh, what we're doing today. Luke 16, 1 through 13. Let's give our attention to God's word. Jesus also said to his disciples, okay, I'm going to stop there. So this, it's helpful to know that this parable follows directly after the parable of the prodigal son. And so there's no break. This is the same conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees related to their disgust at Jesus having dinner parties with all the wrong people. Back to our text. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him and this man, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? That's the first sign that this guy is a terrible manager. He has no idea what this person owes his master. (laughs) How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, hey, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and ride 80. The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons and daughters of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful... In that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you come and illumine this text with the... The words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Some parables are self-explanatory. The kingdom of God is like someone who found treasure buried in a field. Uh, So great was the value of that treasure that they went and sold everything they had so that they could claim that field. Some parables are self-explanatory and some are not. One guy rips another guy off. Go be like that guy. And so in this book that says, don't steal, it gets a little confusing when Jesus says, that guy who stole, that's a guy you can learn a lot from. It's a crazy little parable. And when we get into it, what we'll find is that Jesus is a brilliant storyteller. And he uses a crooked crook to teach us how to walk straight paths. He uses selfishness to illumine holiness. He uses a lost sinner to instruct found sinners. He uses a shady deal to teach the children of light how to shine more brightly. And so let's jump in. Let's just look at the parable itself. There's a rich man, an owner of a great amount of property and resources, And he has entrusted these property and resources to his money manager or his steward. In many senses, this is the rich man's bookkeeper. It's his job to manage the owner's estates. And he's doing a really poor job at it. The text says that he's wasting his possessions. We're not told exactly how he's wasting it. Whether he was skimming off the top embezzling or whether he was just careless, but whatever the case is, his master becomes aware of the waste and he calls in the manager for a performance review. Oh, a performance review. And he lets him know that he's got one more day on the job. He's about to be fired. And he says, before I fire you, I want to see how much I've lost. And so the last thing he calls him to do is last day on the job, I want an audit. I want a full accounting of what you've done. So at this point, the manager is still employed, but he knows that the gig's up. He's about to be out of a job and he's scared. The man says, well, I can't get a job doing physical labor. And unlike the temptations, he's too proud to beg. And I knew that would fall flat, but I had to put it in there. So I was just going to, I just decided to push through strongly and just let it go. But in his despair, the manager got an idea. He got a wonderful, awful idea. And that was, while his employer's books were still under his control, and a lot of people owed his employer money, He started to get on the phone and give discounts. He started canceling debt. And he he thought, man, if I can cancel debt, I'm going to make some friends. So that when I get fired, they'll take me in when I don't have anywhere else to go. He's a shrewd man. He's thinking on his feet. If only he used that kind of cleverness while he was on the job. He wouldn't have gotten fired in the first place. And he goes to these two prominent clients and he opens up their portfolios. And he says, what do you owe my boss? He didn't even know. What do you owe my boss? 
And uh, he cuts one of the debts by 50%. He goes to another client. He cuts that debt by 20%. These were huge debts. And in doing so, he earned the gratitude of these various debtors. And as a result, he could look to rely on them for help to house him later, to show him hospitality in his time of need. And so the deceitful manager uses his wits to find out a way to manipulate money, which will only be there in the short term, to secure his future. That's the gist. And in the end, it's kind of like a joke. Because you think the manager is going to come in with a, and off with his head. And we don't know how the story ends. But we know that the the manager says, this at least, well, wasn't that clever. And likely you're still fired. But this guy's going to get in head in life. If he continues to think like that. And what's even more surprising, the manager's assessment of the situation, is Jesus' own evaluation. Because he says that the children of light, that's you, that's me, we have something to learn from this man. He says, for the sons and daughters of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons and daughters of light. So what do the sons and daughters of light have to learn from this man? A few things. First, we have much to learn from his felt sense of urgency. His felt sense of urgency. When the rich man steps in and demands an accounting from the manager, what does he do? He gets moving. There's no twiddling of his thumbs, no waiting for the inevitable shoe to drop. The boss comes in and says, your days are numbered. This way of life is over. And he wakes up and he begins to make some changes and thinks more creatively than he ever has before. The rich man creates a crisis, a moment of decision. And the manager rises to that moment where he was once careless with the funds. He now ingeniously makes them work for him for his long-term good. Dishonest though he was, the manager had a keen eye on the future. And as disgraceful as his methods were, he did well for himself in making his future secure. What a striking contrast there is between this steward's conduct with his own earthly project uh, uh, prospects and the conduct of most people when they think of their souls and eternity. So often our life lacks a kind of spiritual energy and urgency. And sin and death creates for all of us a crisis moment of decision. 
The writing is on the wall for us in terms of how short life is. And the fact is, most of us live as if we're going to live forever. With very little thought that this day could be our last. So unaware of how swiftly things can change. Jesus wants us to be aware, not anxious, not afraid, but prepared. In some of the language of his other stories, he wants us to keep the lights on and the lamps burning in our hearts for the day when we will meet him. In seeing that the end was near, And the end of what money could buy was too. The manager stopped being careless with money. And started being shrewd. Fact is, our lack of spiritual urgency or awareness is often most evident in how we spend our money. When we think of the time, energy, and effort that people spend investing in their homes... Or just making money. And then we compare that to the time, energy, and money people spend investing in God or his kingdom. Then maybe we can begin to see something of the challenge this parable has for us. Knowing that money could fail, this guy started to use it to serve his long-term interests making friends and relationships that would outlast the current crisis. And Jesus says, you're to do the same. His words, make friends for yourselves (laughs) by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they meaning the friends that you will make, will receive you into eternal dwellings. (laughs) That's rich. And he says, money will fail you. Use it to serve the things that won't. The first thing that he says is that money will fail you. And he uses a certain word for money here. If you look in the footnote in your scriptures, it's mammon. Can you say mammon? Mammon sounds a lot like amen. And that's the word that it's based on. When you say amen at the end of a prayer, what you're saying is trustworthy. That's right. That's trustworthy. That's true. Mammon is a play on amen. It's saying it's a thing that you trust in, the thing that you lean on for your trust, the trusted thing. It's being personified as a spiritual power that stands in competition to God, something that we often put too much amen in. Some people do that and they're just driven. By a desire to have more, more toys, more money, more security, more power. 
And it ends up empty. Empty and sad. Others are enslaved by money, by financial debt that can lead to despair. It's mammon. Unrighteous mammon. Double whammy. Jesus didn't think highly of money. And that should mess with us. While money is a fine tool, it is a poor God. And Jesus is saying here that we should use our worldly wealth effectively so that when it fails, as it surely will, we will have invested in the things that really matter, in the things that will last. And that's what the manager did right. He looked at what was impermanent and he used it to serve that which would last. He took money which was literally going to be gone tomorrow and used it to uh, serve relationships that would serve him to the end. And Jesus says, that's what I want my people to do. To take that which will ultimately fail them, i.e. their money, and to use it to create relationships that will ring out for all eternity. Eternal dwellings. Well, what does that mean? How do you even do that? How do you use money to secure eternal dwellings with friends. And the clue is when you look at the phrase when it fails because it triggers us to remember that that word was used by Jesus before in a very similar text in Luke 12 verse 33. And here's what that text says. It's going to be up on the screen. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now I left out the very beginning sentence which tells us how you provide money bags that do not grow old. And that sentence says this. Next slide, please. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. So the full thing is sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And so if you put those two ideas together, because they're similar, making friends, eternal dwellings, is equated with what it looks like to lay up treasures in heaven that do not fail. And what Jesus is saying very clearly is to make is to make friends who will someday be converted and maybe they'll go before you into heaven and they will welcome you there with great joy in their eternal dwellings in other words don't be a shrewd investor in this age where you can provide for yourself a future that will fail. Instead, be a really shrewd investor in revest, investing in people's lives, using your resources to do as much good as you can for the glory of God and the eternal good of others, others who will go before you and welcome you into glory. 
You see, the steward in the story shrewdly used the master's resources to make friends, to bless others so that he could count on their hospitality. In the same way, Jesus is saying, use your resources now to bless others so that you can't go anywhere in the new heavens and new earth without somebody inviting you in to their home. Now, when I hear that, that gets me excited for you and me. Because imagine how our lives would look different if our work, our money, our attachment, our stuff, think about all of it, and think about the ingenuity and passion we take at accumulating it, at protecting it, at making a name for ourselves, in making enough so that we can retire when we're 60 or whatever. And now think that if we took that same ingenuity, time, money, and energy and used it in a way that 50 billion years from now, there will still be people tapping us on the sleeve saying, thank you for how you blessed me back in 2023. Jesus is saying, I want you to touch your little piece of creation in such a way that five billion years from now, people are still going to be hugging you in the annals of history, welcoming you into their homes. I want you to make eternal friends. It's not saying that this is how you buy your way into heaven. It's saying How do you use your money? It's saying how you use your money tells you a lot about whether the kingdom of heaven has made its way into your heart. It is such a spiritual barometer. We don't like to talk about money. Jesus talked about money all the time because he knew how powerful a spiritual barometer money could be. Show someone your bank account statement. Or your credit card statement for a year. And they'll probably have a pretty good idea of where your priorities lie. Would they see anything of the kingdom of God? Anything of Jesus' compassion? Are we going to use our money simply to serve ourselves? Or are we going to use it to serve others? To put it negatively, Jesus is saying, don't let money be the thing that keeps you from entering the vibrant life of God's kingdom and the community of God's people. The fact is, is when we make more money, it usually comes at the expense of our relationships. We use it to like get further away from people. We use it to build up fences so that we can talk to our neighbors less often. We use it to get things that are exclusive. Things that other people can't get or don't have. What would it be like to use our money to be more radically inclusive? To use our money so that The more money that we have, the more relational wealth 
and community we have to show for it. The fact is, that's not how often it goes with the rich. It's often the materially poor who are the best at sharing and creating community. It's one of the beautiful things that Jesus says here. He says, the one who is faithful in a little will also be faithful in much. This isn't about how much you have. Investment in the kingdom of God often involves the smallest things. Life consists of a series of small decisions, small steps, incremental habits. Most of us will never negotiate a peace treaty. We will never reverse climate change on our own. More likely this coming week will be filled with rather mundane Opportunities to be faithful and hospitable. Will you read the story to a child? (laughs) Will you bring someone a meal? Will you make amends to the person that you've had the falling out with? Notice that this man made friends by canceling debt. By canceling debt. Will you visit someone who is sick? Will you forgive someone who has wronged you? Will you give generously? Whatever that means for you. Whoever is faithful in a little is faithful in much. And here's the last thing that Jesus has to say to us. The stuff wasn't yours in the first place. Verse 11. If then you have been faithful In the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? He leaves us with the thought that we are stewards. We might be tempted to talk about our money. That we've earned by our hard work. But we must remember that the wealth that we enjoy has been given to us. It is not ours. It belongs to another. And so we thank God for our minds and our employment if we have it. For our health. For our strength. For the breath in our lungs, and we realize that with all of those blessings come responsibilities to shine like sons and daughters of God in a dark world, to practice hospitality, to give to those in need, to use our money as a means to an end, not our own ends, but the eternal end of being devoted to God, serving Him, glorifying others, and making eternal friends. This story begins with the Pharisees grumbling over who Jesus is eating with at a table and the friends that He's made. This is the very next line afterwards. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things and ridiculed Jesus. 
let's put this parable in the gospel together. When you do that, this is what you get. Jesus turns to his followers and says, y'all know I'm the owner and you are the managers and you've touched my stuff like it's your own more than you've touched it and thought it's not mine. Here's the thing though, I'm not going to fire you. I was fired so that you could be favored. Do you know that I am the perfect steward who gave up everything to create an eternal friendship with you? And I'm not just giving up my stuff, I've given up my life. I gave my death, my suffering, my righteousness. I've given you my standing. I've given you everything that comes with it. All of these things guaranteed to you by grace. And so now you can look at what you have. And the first thing I want you to think is grace. The second thing I want you to think is eternal friendship. I want you to think all of those things before you say mine. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you tell parables that mess with us. (laughs) Thank you that you desire for us to be freed from serving and trusting in things that will ultimately fail us and that you turn our attention and our hearts to eternal matters, relationship with you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to be freed from slavery, (laughs) to serving money, to serving things that truly matter. Make us creative and shrewd in the ways that we use our time, our energy, and our resources to bless others and honor you. We give you thanks and praise, Lord God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.